Here we go, here we go. Welcome to Police Pod Talk. Whoop, whoop, it's the police. Don't look in your rearview mirror. This podcast covers the latest police news, along with hitting the hot topics you've been talking about all week. I'm your host, Cleveland. Thank you for joining us. Today on Police Pod Talk, we will we'll be speaking with an old friend of mine who I met years ago when I first went into traffic court as a patrolman. I saw her in there uh, flexing her muscle during that time and kind of scaring me to not make a mistake. We'll be talking today with Marcia Linsky. Marcia and I go way back, and uh, her story of how she got to where she's at now is pretty interesting. So I'm not going to beat you up with too many details, but uh, Marcia, you can say hey. Hey. Just to let people know you're out there, and I'm not talking to myself because that'd be kind of boring. I'm here. Okay. <laughs> uh, Marcia, I'm going to let you tell your story how you went from me knowing you in traffic court all the way over to now you're working at Ross Worm Family Law, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So let's start out there. How did you get into traffic court? And I run into you there. Um, I started at the prosecutor's office, and back when I started, they actually had a start in misdemeanor court. That's kind of where you learned the basics and learned about prosecuting and the elements of a crime mm-hmm. that you have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt. Right. Um, so it was a great training ground, um, great for making you think on your feet. Um, it's a busy forum here in Allen County, so you don't get a lot of time um, my trial prep was over the lunch hour, looking over <laughs> okay. dockets and things to see what was coming up that afternoon, um, talking to witnesses out in the hallway and bringing them in and mm-hmm. trying to see if defendants wanted to take a plea deal. And, right. Yeah. And that was all done, I mean, about how many years ago was that? Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to yeah. think when I was new. Yeah, it would have been... Um, 1989, 1990. Okay. In there. I was at the prosecutor's office until 1999. Okay. And I'm sure you enjoyed doing that type of work. Yes. Okay. I love the courtroom. (laughs) Okay. That's what I say. You're flexing your muscle. When I saw you, boy, I was was afraid. (laughs) I'd have my act together back then. So you went, you were at the prosecutor's office, you worked it in, and then from that point, where did you go? I was appointed as a magistrate in misdemeanor and traffic court. I remember of course, that. Mm-hmm. During, the, during the time I was at the prosecutor's office, I didn't stay in, in misdemeanor court. I mm-hmm. went on to doing felony cases as well. Yep. And then I got appointed as magistrate in misdemeanor court. I was there about 14 years. Okay. So when you were doing uh, the felony stuff, we ran into each other a lot then because yes. we were doing a lot of drug stuff. Yes. Okay. I remember back then. Okay. And then the whole magistrate thing, I wasn't around when that happened. What happened? Um, I was appointed to that position. Um, I heard traffic and misdemeanor cases in misdemeanor court. Mm-hmm. Um, because of the way a lot of cases are filed here in Allen County, they, we do a, a probable cause affidavit for an on-site felony arrest. Okay. Um, that gives us the experience. We have to stay sharp on the elements for a felony offense as well as the misdemeanor and traffic offenses because those matters are brought before us to determine probable cause. Okay. Um, I did that for approximately 14 years. I actually, years ago, when I made a decision that I wanted to go to law school, I wanted to go to law school to be a criminal defense lawyer. Oh, really? 
Yes. I'll be done. <laughs> no, why does everybody go to, go to school and nobody wants to come out being a cop? <laughs> Did that ever cross your mind? No, no. Never. I just, okay. Yeah, my dad actually took me to watch a day of the court system in Akron, Ohio. Okay. I was in like seventh grade. Holy cow. I don't know. I, I can't even tell you the whys and wherefores of what we did. Hmm. I just remember doing it and watching a particular court session where this gentleman was trying to explain to the judge that he had he was spending money on medicine and that's why he didn't have money for things for the court. I don't I think it might have been fines and costs that he was right. talking about. Right. Prosecutor didn't want to hear it. Judge didn't want to hear it. And he was there all by himself trying to plead his case. <laughs> I just didn't think that was right. And so. <laughs> so all the way back then, that made an impression on you yes. to do what you're doing now. Yes. I'll be darned. <laughs> now, while all this was going on, here's the funny part of this whole story. Well, not really funny, but I find it kind of different. Uh, your husband is a policeman. Yes. And while all this is going on. Yes. And uh, he and I worked together for a little while. And... Then, somewhere along the way, you left being a magistrate and explain where you're at right now. I'm doing criminal defense work. Mm -hmm. um, my husband is now a retired police mm -hmm. officer. Mm -hmm. um, he works for state parole. So we've kind of both, in a sense, switched a little bit of hats. Um, me more than him. Oh, yeah. But <laughs> oh, yeah. Come on. Tell me, what, what are you doing? Um, Defending people that have been arrested by the agency you used to work for. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, that's what I, I want you to talk about. Um, it's, it's been an interesting transition for both of us. Mm -hmm. um, everybody is human. Everybody makes mistakes. Right. Um, there are occasions where the officers can get a little overzealous when they get caught up sometimes in an investigation. Oh, yeah. And... It's part of what I do now to kind of help monitor that situation to keep a balance in the world. Okay. So you were all in for the police officers, 100% behind what they were doing. Mm -hmm. And now what you're seeing is where mistakes can be made, uh, where maybe they did something that wasn't right that can allow this person who did something wrong the right to their freedom again. Or the right to a better sentence, less time in custody. There, okay. There's a whole spectrum of things. A lot of people come in for representation because they're just trying to limit the damage okay. that their behavior has created. They're, they're not looking for a magical get-out-of-jail-free card. Mm -hmm. They come in understanding that there's going to be a consequence for their actions. Um, they just want to know specifically what the consequence is going right. to be to try to figure out then how they repair their world and come back and move forward from what they've done. Right. Okay, with that being said, your husband's a policeman, and he's, he's arresting people, doing his thing, and then there you are on the other end looking for those mistakes that maybe an officer has made. Have you had to run into any of the officers you've worked with in the past who now you look across at them and say, okay, you messed up here, and that gives me an opening here? Um, no, in a sense, because most of what I see um, are issues that arise with officers 
who were either very new on the department mm-hmm. when I was there or okay. have come on since okay. I was working at the prosecutor's office. So the younger ones are who you, the yeah. older ones, you don't really run into too many problems. Don't, don't see the, yeah, that many issues mm-hmm. with what they're doing. Okay. And not to ask any cases or anything, if, if an officer is listening here today, what mistakes are you seeing that a lot of younger officers are making that could get themselves in a jam? I think sometimes um, the area of search and seizure is such a fact-sensitive area. Mm-hmm. And I have always said, even as a prosecutor, um, to be an officer trying to make those decisions in the moment right. that a prosecutor, a defense attorney, and a judge will spend several hours picking at mm. to decide if right. everything was just so. Right. Um, so there, you know, there are going to be in that particular area issues because of the way an officer has to make those decisions. Mm-hmm. So if there's a misunderstanding or there's been a misinterpretation or a recent case that came down that changed what you could do and you just didn't know about it, right. then you're going to have some, it gives us some territory to question what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Now, we don't always win when we question it, but we're going to question it to try to make certain that certain constitutional rights don't get stepped on along the way. Okay. From being on both sides, uh, is that an advantage to you, seeing both sides? Yes. I think, it, and, and um, actually, the time I had as magistrate kind of helped me transition, too, because you, you change your mindset because mm-hmm. you want to look at things more coldly. Um, as opposed to saying one side is right or one side is wrong. Okay. Um, but it gives me some unique insight um, and an ability to look at a case. I look at a case sometimes with my prosecutor eyes going on mm-hmm. to see where everything lines up. Well, that's an advantage. Yeah. yeah. And and when talking with clients, because they want to, you know, they want to question, what about this? Well, if I were the prosecutor, I would respond with this. Right. And they understand that that's a valid statement because I used to be there. Right, right. <laughs> well, that, that, like I said, that, that's a huge advantage mm-hmm. doing that. Um, with that being said, okay, do you feel good about what you do? Because you made a comment that, you know, everybody has, makes mistakes. Everybody does things. Do you feel good about where you're at now? with the the law you're practicing now? I do. I do because um, there has always been part of me that's wanted to help people. Um, When I was at the prosecutors, I felt like I was helping people. Mm -hmm. Um, More so um, involved in the the victim-related crimes, you get more of an immediate. Um, Doing the defense work, um, again, it's it's helping people. Mm They don't always, as I said, not everybody comes in just saying, um, this is all messed up. These officers are just right. messing with me. I don't know why I'm here. It's, I need help. How do, how do, we, how do I go from here? Where do I go from here? I've never right. been in the criminal justice system before. Right. Um, and part of what I tell my clients is if you don't understand this process, if you don't understand what's expected of you, you will fail. Hmm. If you want to get through this, and put it behind you, then you need to know what's expected of you. You need to get it done and move on. So they're not trying to get out of all the charges. Not everybody all the time. I mean, you get yeah. the occasional people who say they, they did absolutely positively nothing. And then you find then, out later 
then you go to trial and it's whatever the jury says. (laughs) Now, you see on TV a lot of times, are you allowed to ask them if they did something wrong or do you just assume they're guilty because they came to you? Yeah, there's nothing that prohibits you from asking, Mm -hmm. but sometimes there's not a huge point in in that in asking that one way or the other they're either going to tell you one thing or another mm-hmm. um but to just come out and ask um part a lot of my conversations are this is how the evidence builds up mm-hmm. and if you go to trial and you lose this is how much time you can potentially be looking at right this is how much time we're talking if yeah. you accept responsibility right here are your choices mm-hmm. now you tell me what direction we're going Okay. I just have to give you your choices, and you make an informed decision, and we go forward accordingly. All right. So the ones, oh, let me. Okay, the ones who come in screaming, and I didn't do anything. I didn't do anything, and get me out of this thing altogether. Mm-hmm. Is that a high number? No. Okay, I, I don't so, think it's really high. No. All right. So the ones that come in usually figure they did something. Mm-hmm. They just need a little help, like you said, right? Mm-hmm. And then your your thing is to basically hold their hands and get them through it, mm-hmm. and then to see what's out there for them, what's available to yes. them. Yes. Yes. Okay. And repeat customers. Yes. Do you get them? Yes. And so did they not learn anything the first time, or what's the problem here? Um, the the interesting thing is that unfortunately, I think with a lot of the repeat customers, when when you get to know these people as people, mm-hmm. it can be a generational problem uh. it can you you have to dig back sometimes the way people were raised mm-hmm. um, poverty brings a lot of stress on a person right. brings a lot of can bring a lot of stress on an individual not being certain of you know a meal the next day a roof over your right. head is a parent going to be home that evening because mm-hmm. they're out using drugs um, has a substantial impact on how people look at the world and their moral base Hmm. And it can take quite a bit to bring that that thought process around. Right. That I have to take care of myself. I got to make sure I'm okay. Right. And it doesn't matter what I need to do to be sure I'm okay. Gotcha. And then you just deal with it from there. Gotcha. So when you were on the prosecutor side, did your mind ever think that? Or was this new thinking for you? It's, it's somewhat new thinking. I think... Um, and this, this is a conversation my husband and I have had. Um, when you're on the, the prosecutor police side, mm-hmm. you tend not to personalize okay. the people. You stick with the police reports. You yep. stick with yep. the kind of black and white of the situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And because you're not seeing the person, per se, Right. It's it's easier to say you need to go to jail for 20 years or you need to go to jail for 15 years. Right. Right. When you get to know the person, a little bit of their backstory, maybe even some of their family. Mm-hmm. Um, they got kids that are depending on them, uh, so forth and so on. Then you start fighting to try to get them home sooner. Gotcha. Okay. So your mind has been changed a little bit yeah. from what it used to be. Yeah. Do you think yeah. you're a little more sympathetic? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, th- I think there's, um, and this is my term, and God knows I'm not a psychology expert or anything else, but there is a culture to the police prosecutor world. Um, and 
you do believe, and I guess rightfully so, that what you're doing is right. Right. You have to have some conviction. Right. If you're going to be convincing and do a good job. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, as you start seeing, I guess more of the world seeing the other side mm-hmm. of the world, you start to realize it's it's just not that cut and dry. Right. There's more gray fuzzy area in there, and right. I think that's what, as as a criminal defense lawyer, I'm kind of working in that gray fuzzy area trying to get some advantage for a client mm-hmm. out of the, the differences, the uniqueness from each each case, one to the other. Now, you hit on something there. You said you and your husband have conversations. I was going to get on that. What is his take on you on the, uh, well, I'm going to call it the dark side. The dark side. <laughs> um, he is okay with it. It's, it's, it's interesting since he retired from law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Um, and as, as he has said, um, has has gotten back to associating with normal people. <laughs> yeah, I know what he means. <laughs> um, it it causes you, you some of the cynicism starts to kind of drop away, right? And and you're able to real you know there are good people out here. Mm-hmm. They're around us every day. It's right. a, it's okay to open up to them. You don't have to have this cut and dry in this you know you're you're not one of my immediate group so i don't mm-hmm. know if i want to associate with mm-hmm. you kind, right. of, kind of thoughts so his his mindset has changed a little bit too a little bit yeah, yeah. it takes a while yeah he hasn't been gone long enough yet <laughs> <laughs> to sit with his back to the door at a restaurant that kind of thing <laughs> yeah. you know, yep. i can tell you that one so he's he's you've had conversations about this whole mind mm-hmm. change and everything mm-hmm. and he's good with it Mm-hmm. And you're you're learning to understand a little bit more. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that is that is. Do you think that every new, uh, be a prosecutor, uh, should have to go through some of this training? And there's got to be some training out there to get the understanding of the other side. Yeah, they, there isn't any that I'm currently aware of that that prosecutors go through. Um, I think, and again, it's it's part of the checks and balances of our criminal justice system that make it work because if I guess if both sides were too similar Mm -hmm. you wouldn't be keeping each other in check on occasion true so that's why I say I think you kind of have to have the different mindset Mm -hmm. in a sense going on it's it's not impossible um there have been well one in particular who you need to who went from being criminal defense attorney to prosecutor and back to criminal defense attorney and I think back to prosecutor for a minute and now he's doing criminal defense work again. Right, right. So it you can make the transition mm-hmm. because kind of at the end of the day, it's looking at the facts, looking at the evidence and, and making a decision about is it good for the state? Is it bad for your client? If it's bad for your client, how are you going to deal with it? Right, right. Okay. Have you ever gone and taught a class for, be it new recruits, to say, hey, these are the mistakes or things we're looking for in your police work or report writing? I did do a couple training sessions at the academy some years ago, back mm-hmm. when the, the prosecutors had, like, a session at the police academy. Right. Um, and, well, I taught a class out at IPFW, but that wasn't specific. It was just a law-related class. It wasn't specific right. to law enforcement. Do you think there that would help? Especially, I mean, coming from your background, who you were married to, yeah. what you've seen and what you've done. And I, like I said, I remember the, the back in the day when we were 
when I was in Vice Narcotics? I mean. I think that depends on <clears throat> how much you know that person and how much you trust that person. And that's, trust may not be the right word. Um, I felt, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, that when I was at the prosecutor's office, I was up front mm -hmm. with the officers that I worked with. Oh, yeah, yeah. And if something something wasn't right, mm -hmm. something wasn't going to work, right. I let you know about it. Yep, and you had to fix and it and come at another angle yep, with it. Yep, yeah, yep. Convince you <laughs> that's what it was. Yeah. Uh, because I wanted things done right. Yeah. I wanted them done clean. I didn't want to be defending a million motions to suppress. Right. Um, that was my work philosophy. Mm -hmm. And because of my approach, I think that the officers um, had a little, a lot of faith oh, yeah. in my work product. Yeah. And so when I told them A, B, and C, mm -hmm. they would listen. Right. Um, going in a, uh, to a group of new recruits at the academy today, mm -hmm. even saying who I am and what my experience is, right. they may or may not listen. It's going to be up to them. And until they've been in it mm -hmm. and see where, hey, I made a mistake here and it didn't yeah. work. Yeah. And then they want to listen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I can say that, yes, I remember those days. <laughs> and I remember you said something like, if you had time to get a warrant, why didn't you? You know, it's like, okay, <laughs> it was time to get a warrant. Why didn't you? That was always good. Good advice right there. So, I mean, I just, I just find it amazing that you can go from being at the prosecutor's office, being a magistrate, flipping over and working at, uh, on the criminal side. I say the criminal side, the dark side. But deep down inside, your whole thing is helping people. And that person needs you at that time. Yes. To help them out. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And there's no hard feelings, you know, on the police side. You don't have any hard feelings toward the officers. No, no. Our, we're, we, we all have a job to do. Okay. Everyone is entitled to a defense. Mm -hmm. um, that's part of the understanding of our criminal justice system. Um, and if everybody's doing their job correctly. Right. Then there shouldn't be any problems. Okay, I'm going to ask you, <clears throat> a lot of cities have come up with the uh, body cameras mm -hmm. uh, that the officers are wearing. I don't think uh, Fort Wayne has them yet. They've talked about it. Yeah. Have you guys had to come across that at all being used, where videos being used to help you out? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, I think, I want to say Huntington County has some body cams. I've seen some body cam footage out of cases out of Huntington County, um, and it's extremely beneficial mm -hmm. um as i mean my theory on life is most of the criminal activity that goes on is driven by substance abuse okay um and when you have somebody who's high on whatever they may or may not have an actual recall <laughs> of the events of that evening right so you sit them down with body cam footage as things are happening mm-hmm well, and they understand what a jury's going to see, what's going to happen if the jury sees that, right. and that can help resolve a case. So your take on it is body cams are good. Mm -hmm. And if body cam, you know, <clears throat> likewise, if the officer is doing something inappropriate, mm -hmm. it's right there on that body cam. Right. So. Yeah, I've talked to several officers around here, and they do not like it. <laughs> They're fighting it tooth and nail. <laughs> my thing was, well, if you're not doing anything wrong, what's the problem? One of my favorite memories from the prosecutor's office when um, in car 
oh, yeah. was still fairly new. Uh-huh. An officer's trying to figure out how to get into a car to search it. And the defendant had didn't want to consent to a search. Right. So the officers step <laughs> off camera, not realizing the microphone, just because you can't be seen anymore yeah. doesn't mean the microphone. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> still pick you up. And I engaged in quite a lengthy conversation about how do we get in the car? You know he's got something in the car. That's yeah. why he won't let us in the car. How are we going to do this? And I'm beating my head against the wall. Oh Remember, my. microphones are running. Yeah, yeah. That, see, that's the difference today than back in the day. We didn't have all that. Mm-hmm. And everybody's filming you somewhere, listening somehow. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like I said, a lot of uh, the officers I spoke to, they just do not want anything to do with the uh, the uh, body cameras because they're afraid that they're going to be caught. Mm -hmm. And I said, what are you afraid of being caught doing? Uh, Don't do it. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, That's that's it. If you can get a warrant, why didn't you? You Just don't do it. Okay. So, but it does help if it's there and uh, it's, it's actually hurt someone who thinks they're going to get off of something. Mm -hmm. And then they realize they see themselves in footage Mm -hmm. making a fool of themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's, that's the whole part. I don't think there's that bad of a thing to have happen to have body camera i'm going to hit you with a curve here because yeah. i've asked this question to several because i try to get as many people related to police involved in these conversations what is your take on legalizing marijuana oh i think why not and tax it it's a great new tax base and i would think that that's what the governments are always looking for the interesting uh, from the aspect of the the legal ease mm-hmm. behind all of it the fascinating thing with the states legalizing marijuana is all the things that go with it because the feds haven't legalized marijuana right so when it comes to the states that have legalized and legalizes selling of it have had to incorporate state banks because you can't put that money in a federal bank right. you're opening yourself up for federal crime right so from that aspect it's all kind of fascinating what a little world is being built up and <laughs> um there are a lot of questions that need to be answered. We don't have on um, operating while intoxicated statutes. They don't have the studies behind marijuana about what right. THC levels mm-hmm. um, are actually show signs of intoxication. And right now here in Indiana, we have a very strict liability statute that if you've got any metabolites in your body and we know they stay in your system for like 30 days, right. you can't drive. Right. So if we were to legalize marijuana, then you're legalizing a substance but telling people they can't ever drive because of how long it stays in their system. And that creates kind of an awkward situation for people, too. So there's, it, it's an interesting comment. It's from uh, just armchair position, armchair right. quarterbacking. And it's right. kind of fun to look at all the issues that mm-hmm. pop up. And we don't have the studies on marijuana and the levels because it's always been an illegal substance. Right. And you don't want to invite people to engage in a crime just to have some scientific study. <laughs> I always thought that was kind of interesting. It's also the reason they don't have a lot of OWI stats with women involved because there was always that fear that if you put women into the drinking game that drives those stats, maybe the woman's pregnant and doesn't know it. And do you mm. want her pounding drinks? Right. So. Right. <laughs> right. Okay. I'm with you there. Okay. Uh, Marsha, I really appreciate you taking time out uh, coming to talk to us today because I just think you have a, a fascinating life <laughs> with all the changes and, and, like I said, who you're married to because I know him. <laughs> and, uh, and just the mindset that has to be changed and your thinking and how that's opened up you more to what's going on in the world also. Uh, final question. 
Are you still fooling with uh, alpacas? Is it alpacas <laughs> or what are yeah. those things called? They were. We did have alpacas. <laughs> we have since stopped doing that. Um, it just got well between the acres that we have, the the grass cutting on the weekends and the animals, we were just tied to our property. Uh-huh. And we've decided we wanted to travel a little more. So. <laughs> you can't take them with you. So, no, they're a little too big for that. Now, so. were, they, were they a moneymaker? What would you do, cut their hair off or something? And, I had no clue what you were doing to those Yeah, things. you um, shear them. Um, there aren't really any fiber mills here in Indiana. You've got to ship your fiber off. Okay. Um, there are co-ops where they'll give you back finished product and right. then you can sell that and that's how you make your money so you just can't ship it and they send you money no there, there isn't any I, there may be some places like that but the easiest thing to do is the co-op most people have a farm store go through the co-op and then they have scarves um okay. socks gloves hats that they sell in their farm store i'll be done so did you you know i got a hat or anything a yeah. winter hat yeah do you have a farm yeah. store no, uh, no, we, we just um, bought some of it and then sold it like online and everything. But the uh, I'll tell you, the insoles that they make <laughs> are amazingly warm in the wintertime. Well, These I last bet. few winters running around oh, all yeah. the time outside. I bet. How many, a lifesaver. how many alpacas did you guys have when you're at your peak? At the peak, we had, I believe, 10. <laughs> I remember seeing that. Yeah. And it's like, where in the world did you come up with that? Is, is that like a stress reliever from all the stuff you see? Part of it. Part really? of it. They're just so darn cute. And they <laughs> they can, um, they'll get to know you. They can be very playful. Okay. Um, they're kind of cat-like. They're those kind of animals that when you're not paying attention, gotcha. will come up and they'll have their nose right on your back, the back of your neck. The minute you turn around, they scatter away. <laughs> Okay, bunch of clowns. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> last thing I need. <laughs> well, Marsha, uh, I really do appreciate you being here and uh, talking to us today, and uh, hopefully our listeners got something out of that. But just hearing your life uh, and the changes and the different things you're doing, I think is really neat. Thank you. Um, I'm glad that uh, it's, it's funny that we sometimes have to change jobs to get a, a view of the other side of the world, if, mm-hmm. if I want to say it for True. lack of yeah. a better term. <laughs> And, uh, I mean, a lot of us do that, and we can change at any time, and change is good sometimes. But, again, uh, folks, thank you very much for hanging out with us today. If you have any questions about what you've heard from Marsha and her conversation, even something about alpacas, I guess, <laughs> you can contact us on policepodtalk at gmail.com about uh, Marsha and her, question, her comments and uh, anything else you've heard on the programs in the past. Again, uh, you're listening to Police Pod Talk, and we'll talk to you next week.